Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. It's Cinco de Mayo. I'm in downtown Austin at the uh, Central Public Library. Um, one quick note I wanted to, to get into before we get the show started today is that I did start a Patreon for anybody that uh, enjoys the show and is willing to throw down a couple of bucks here and there to, to help support it. I'd really appreciate that. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash podcast co cooper cherry uh so check that out show uh, that'll be in the show notes as well but i'd appreciate it if anybody is uh, really enjoying the show to, to throw in a little to make this thing uh continue gotta keep it rolling <laughs> but today i'm i'm very excited i have uh, i have zay we have an austin og in the in the podcast in I the am, studio so welcome zay to the to podcast you. with cooper cherry I appreciate you having me, man. I appreciate you having me. That I am. I am an original Austinite. Absolutely. I see you got the hat on. That's right. Shouts out to Joints by Raheem. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We have to shout out Raheem for just even basically making this connection with us. Pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's, that lends to what you were just saying, man. The support, the support created uh, another network, another avenue for us to look up. And I'm glad. All artists and content creators and all that in Austin. That's a fact. Definitely want (laughs) to boost, boost everybody's signal for sure. Oh yeah. Content creator. That's a a hella funny, like new term. Right. It just became a thing. I I was trying to explain to my brother and he just was like, so, so what does that mean? (laughs) I was like, you just, you're creating, you just come up with shit. Things. Yes. Things. It's content, whatever, whatever that is. But they, uh, so you, since you're in Austin OG, where did you, uh, what high school did you go to? Uh, I was at John B. Conley High School. So it's, uh, it's Northside Austin. Okay. Yeah, Northside Austin. I was born in a uh, 2-4 Purple Sage area. Uh, it's like East Austin. Um, and then, yeah, my parents were like, East Austin in the 90s, nah. <laughs> we got a daughter now, so we should move. And they were both like, by that time, they graduated college and everything. They went to HD, which is a HBCU here in Austin, like a little-known historically black uh, college and university here in Austin. That's where they met. Nice. Um, and both of them are, like, historically Texans, too. My mom's from Houston. My dad's from, like, this little bitty town in West Texas called Pecos. It's, like, the claim to fame is it's the home of the rodeo. It's like, Pecos Bill. So, yeah. Some tall um, tales. Exactly. So, yeah, they moved here and, like, randomly went to this HBCU in Austin that nobody knows about because everything in Austin is about UT. And, uh... They had my brother, and uh, then they had me, and they were like, we got to get the fuck out of East Austin, so we'll move to North Austin so she can go to, quote-unquote, good schools and all that stuff. So, so I get it. before we jump into too much, uh, tell us a little bit, because you've got all kinds of stuff going on. You do... You, I do too much, man. You write rhymes. Yeah. Both. I write. Raps, poetry. Poetry, write. I write. Photography. Whatever it is, man. Um, Shouts out to uh, Mo Brown. She's a real prolific uh, writer and poet from... Uh, from Brooklyn, I was doing one of her writing workshops one time, and she was like, like don't box yourself in. Because if you tell people you're a poet, then they're only going to look for certain yeah. things from you. If you tell somebody you're a rapper, they're only going to look for certain things from you. If you're like, I'm a writer, it's like, oh, well, what does that mean? Like, that could be a bunch of different things. I could, I could, that's true. Yeah, you could write a script, you could write raps, you could write treatments, you could yeah. write all types of different things. So I'd try to keep it as loose and like whatever's touching me at the moment, I'm, I'm a writer. I even think that like video editing is a form of writing as well. You know what I mean? For sure. Or at least, at the very least, storytelling. Like, there's a certain, you know what I mean, rhythm to it. For sure, Just yeah. like writing. You have but. to be able to, like, come up with some type of template. You have to be able to, like, lay that foundation down, which to me, it usually starts with writing, to be able to, you know, flesh it out into something else. So, yeah, I definitely think anything that has to do with, like, videography or directing is definitely a tie-in, for sure, with writing. But uh, I think one of the primary topics we wanted to get into was what it's like to be a, a working artist yeah man in austin in particular but i know, you know. so many and just it's a constant it's, it's a hustle man it's a constant grind and 
all the people that I know that are like into it are like constantly inspiring me and I just think about them all the time. It's like, damn. Um, trying to explain to other people what that means is, is always funny because we tell somebody your artist, especially now, like in social media area, they they go to like um, a few categories of things that they want you to like give them to show. Here, I'm an artist. Like, yeah. oh, do you have a YouTube page? Or, oh, how many followers do you have? Or oh, this and that. It's like, man, I know people who like do this for a living, and you probably wouldn't even know their name. Like, shout out to my homie Tank, like Tank and the Bangers. They just put out an album right now. They were at Lollapalooza, and that's somebody I met and came up with and saw kind of like build it and work it from the ground up through the poetry community like we competed in slams against each other and nice even then it was like man she's crazy and then just watch her do the, the daily grind of being like a working artist and now now it's like come to fruition so yeah trying to break that down to somebody else is, is it's hard to it's hard to make somebody understand like what exactly a working artist is like how i put in this 40 hours every day to pay bills and then put in another 40 hours a week to or try to put in another 40 right. hours a week you know you <laughs> try to hold yourself accountable to to make something else happen out of uh, these these thoughts and ideas I have. So what uh what was your first like first project or what's the first thing that kind of inspired you to create in in general in a general sense? Man, I started writing at like a really young age. I started writing like ten. Um, There's a show that was out at the time. It was an age me for sure. It's called Deaf Poetry, and I already wrote a whole lot. And I used to, the main person I used to share everything with was my mom. So I'd be like, hey, I wrote this thing, and she'd read it. And she'd be like, man, you're, you're you're kind of better at this than I think you're giving yourself credit for, even at a pretty young age. And at the time, it was just like, no, I just like to write. It's whatever. Like, this is my thing. Like, I like to write. I like to write stories. I like to write poetry. It's just my thing. And uh, I was so fo- focused heavily at the time on basketball that it was kind of like to the wayside. It's like, oh, it's just like my hobby. It's just like something I like to do or whatever. And when I was like 10, she submitted um, a poem I wrote. I might have been a little older than 10. I'm trying to think. It was like 2000. When was 9-11? Like 2001? Yeah, 2001. 2001. So yeah, I was a little older than 11. I was. Yeah, I wrote a uh, poem essentially about um, about 9/11 and about like firefighters and stuff like that. And my mom read it and she submitted it to like this competition and then like essentially like I won and got published. And she didn't like tell me about it until after <laughs> she showed me. She was like, what? "Hey, I was like, well, that's cool. I wish I would have had the confidence right, to do that yeah. myself." Um, so that, yeah, it kind of started. Like she, she took me to see my Angelou speak when I was really young. So like, shout out to I guess my parents for kind of fostering it. Like that was probably the first thing I took a, a hack at at a really young age was just writing stories and writing poetry and my mom being like I think you're better at this than, than you think you are and like that kind of just turning into falling in love with hip-hop as I got older and writing raps and my brother wrote too and he also like uh when he got locked up he wrote like a, a like a movie when he was in jail so like just writing was constantly around me and like people around me they were like encouraging me to keep doing it and kind of like put more emphasis on it than I guess I was given at the time because I was so focused on basketball. Is there, are there poets, you mentioned Maya Angelou, but is there anybody that kind of stands out for you that was like an inspiration that kind of got you yeah, I'm a that. I'm a bad poet because anytime somebody like anytime somebody asks me about stuff like that, I'm, I feel like there's certain, natural, right? I feel like there are certain names I'm supposed to say that I don't. Yeah. Um, but definitely Maya Angelou, Langston Hughes, James Baldwin, like. Stuff like that, stuff that my parents kind of put in front of me because when I was younger, I mean, growing up in Austin, I because my parents wanted me to go to like quote unquote better schools. Um, like a lot of times, I was the only black kid in class, and a lot of times, the stuff that I was being taught when it came to like literature and stuff like that wasn't of my culture. So a lot of stuff was stuff my parents gave me. So um, like reading like Malcolm X's autobiography by you know Alex Haley when I was really young, and you know my parents putting stuff in front of me was more than likely the basis of my writing. Um, reading everything from like my mom's Terry McMillan books, which is like, have you seen how still how Stella got her groove back? 
I have not, no. So it's a movie of essentially like... But about, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So that, <laughs> that book was written by Terry McMillan. So like reading shit like that that my mom was reading and then like also reading like Friday Night Lights, the biography, you know, stuff my dad oh, yeah. was reading about sports and stuff like that, reading stuff about Michael Jordan and anything I could get my hands on that had Michael Jordan on the cover I read as a kid. So that was, it was, it was all over the place, I guess, the spectrum of what I read. A lot of, a lot of biographies, a lot of like Harlem Renaissance poetry, um... But then also, I, when I was younger, I don't so much now because I think it was unnecessary. But when I was younger, I was a big um, William Shakespeare fan, and now I just find his writing like completely unnecessary. Like it's just it's extra for no reason. I mean, shout out to him for I am pentameter, but other than that, I was <laughs> like, this shit is just—it's so drawn out and it's overwritten. I don't understand why it's so long. Um, but yeah, kind of bouncing around between like AP, the shit AP English would put in front of me, and then the stuff my parents were putting in front of me. Are you someone, because I'm this sort of person that I, because I majored in English and have always had an affinity for not only just literature, but just the English language and words themselves and phrases and like, I don't know about, are you this way where somebody says something and it just, it's like, I don't, it just fits so well, like there's a, there can be a rhythm to it or it just sounds so elegant and it's like, you're hitting a baseball and like oh, for sure. off the heat, the sweet spot kind of, you know what I mean? Or yeah, like, for sure. like I mean, you shoot a three pointer, it's like nothing but net. And you're just like, <laughs> Oh, that's, that sounds so perfect. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. Well, um, a lot of my friends tell me watching me watch poetry is, is almost as fun as watching me perform it. Cause I'll hear somebody say something. I'll be like, God yes, damn, did you hear what he just yeah. said? <laughs> like, fuck. Wow. Yeah. Like, and it can be anything. It can be something at a poetry function. It could be me listening to like Kendrick Lamar or yeah. me going and like, Hearing somebody say something wild poignant about like a play that, you know, a shot Steph Curry just made, like all of that. Yeah, words are amazing. And if it put them together the right way, they definitely elicit a, a visceral reaction out of yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, it's not even like, yes, content wise, it can be it can be content driven. But a lot of times it's just like the the words that they use and the rhythm of it mm-hmm. or what have you will just be I'll just be like. Oh, yes. Yeah, I I t- I'm, I'm a creep. I tell people shit like you have a nice voice, and they're like, Fuck. It's like you just have a nice voice. Like, it has a dope rhythm to it. Like, it has a nice tone. I don't know. I'm, I'm weird like that. All of that stuff plays into it for me, for sure. And um, having so many friends that uh, I met specifically in poetry, you get to, like, kind of know that about people. It's like, oh, this guy is like, it's almost like their style. Their, their style. The way they approach poetry can be like the way they approach just speaking. Like, my best friend Brent, like, that. that's him. Like, he, talking about anything from, like, the burger he just made because he also <laughs> cooks uh, to, you know, just actually talking about something he read. It's just it, there's a poetry to just the way he he speaks, and, and I love it. So I definitely recognize that about people for sure. Are you someone that – do you like to do – do you like to do accents and, like, play with your <laughs> vocal register and do different things like that as well? Maybe not accents because I think I'm terrible at <laughs> them. I, I don't know if there's one that I do well. Yeah. I do a bunch of, like, really bad accents. Um, but definitely when it comes to, to writing like poetry or anything that's audible, um, God, shout out to Safia Hilio. She's a fire ass poet. Her book is amazing. And, um, she, there's like this constant struggle between page poets and stage poets and like, which one, like page poets are very like kind of, um, I don't know, it's the word we use in the black community, uppity and very like, you know, this is poetry. Like what you guys are doing is not poetry. That's closer to theater. And she, Safia Helio said something really dope, uh, or she quoted somebody in her book. She was talking about, well, when I write poetry, I write it not only for the page, but I write it audibly, too, because I yeah, perform it. I mean. So I think about how it sounds when I'm writing something. How are these words going to sound together? Um, you know, 
is the, the callback of like rhyme, like from the line I just said before, who's going to catch that? This this metaphor, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Are they gonna? Because I'm I'm very subtle in my poetry. I don't know if you listen to anything, but in my poetry and in my writing and raps even too, like my I quote my bars are real subtle. Like it might not catch you unless you actually were listening. Like that callback. Like wait a minute, would you go back? What you just say? Because my style is very conversational, so you kind of get caught up in just like the rhythm. Like I I mean fuck it, I compare myself to like J Cole. It's like. You get caught up in what he's like, the way he's talking to you, and you have to like the second or third time you listen, you're like, oh wow, I didn't dissect the content of what's going on, yeah. And so sometimes I can get caught in that, Um, but I think that when you write for how things sound, it 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 lends to a benefit for you because, you know, how many times is like the the classic thing people talk about poetry is just boring. Like nobody wants to go hear somebody read poetry because it's like this shit's gonna put me to sleep. It's it's you know wah 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 whatever Charlie Brown teacher talking. In Unless the you're a nerd like me, and then you're like right like, oh, exactly. Oh my god, they use Unless the word. Oh. <laughs> Unless you're my thesaurus preaching out, like, to that very oh. niche audience, it's like oh my god, yeah, exactly. It's getting like their 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 Woody off on the word, <laughs> which is the the crowd I love for sure. But to be able to, to kind of like draw people in. Um, I think that you have to know how to edit for sound too, and how it's gonna sound. And, yeah. And then the, in the you know going back to the interview, I was talking about Safi was essentially saying like at least anytime I read a poem, nobody will ever be bored. Like you can critique it all you want to, but people actually come out to listen to me read poems. Yeah. Like as opposed to just buying my book, they'll come listen to me read it too because they know that I'm, I'm I edited those poems for them to be able to hear, and then they can go home and take the book home and interpret it how they please. You know. Yeah. And I mean, so much of the history of poetry is the oral tradition that was passed down from, you know, tribes through like hunter-gatherer societies right. and all that shit in the Greeks and all of it. So like the history of poetry is performance first. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, performance came before writing. Exactly. For people sure. were speaking so, before they were writing. For yeah. Sure. So I think that's kind of bullshit for people that say that there's only one form of like written poetry is somehow I mean, superior to, you know. It is it is quote unquote origin that is where slam came from. Like there's a whole spiel before every slam that's like they talk about the guy who came up with it from Chicago, Mark Smith. And like his whole thing, the spiel he had was that, you know, I want people to be able to enjoy poetry who don't feel like they're, you know, in a collegiate setting or, you know, dead poet society. Like they don't <laughs> feel like they have to be like in some underground room on like Harvard's campus or some shit like that to be able to enjoy it like because he was a construction worker and he wrote. So that was the whole thing. It's like, this is for anybody. This is essentially kind of a thing that is for working artists. Like anybody can enjoy this, this right. medium of, of, of art. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like spun off to a whole nother thing now, like what slam is and, and how it's, you know, I guess with anything that finds a certain level of success, it begins to pander a bit. It's yeah. kind of why I've removed become, myself from the yeah. scene a little bit. Like I still love everybody who's in it and they're still doing like amazing work. Like, Shout out to, you know, Jamar Valentin and, and Tova Charles and, and Danny Strack and, you know, Brian Freeman and, and all these people who are just, uh, I mean, Brian Francis, who are putting all these, like, um, uh, really, really dope moves together and keeping, like, a thriving scene going all over Texas. Safi, um, my friend Amir Safi, does, you know, right about now in Houston. and All these places where people are keeping, like, these underground poetry things going that if you don't know, you don't know. So shout out to them for that. But at the end of the day, as it begins begins to get more successful, you got poets like Rudy Francisco who are on Jimmy Fallon and, you know, poets I know that are, you know, opening up for actual artists and things like that and have, you know, record deals and stuff. As it begins to get big, like with anything else, um, I feel like it there becomes like a formula, just like there's a formula for a hip hop song. There's like a formula right now for a poem that will do well. Right. And, you know, I think anytime something gets to that point, it just it needs to be revamped. And I just I, I kind of remove myself from it until I guess 
the reason why everybody I know started writing kind of gets back to that. Because, like, getting scores is cool and all that. And, and, you know, everywhere I've ever been in my entire life has been because of poetry. Anywhere I've ever traveled before has been because of, of art. So um, I'm going to love it to death for that. But at the same time, like, Slam is, I wish people would remember that Slam is, like, the door to more. It's not necessarily the whole house because you can get caught up in it. Just like you yeah. get caught up in any indie scene with right. a certain amount of success and start to feel like, you know, you start to smell yourself. Like, oh, I feel cool <laughs> because, you know, I can walk around Austin and people recognize me. But it's like... Then when you go somewhere else, it's like, what the fuck is slam poetry? You <laughs> <Right>. can <laughs> bring you back to reality. Yeah, it's kind of things sort of develop their own genre conventions and all that shit, and then it just becomes formulaic. Right. But then somebody Super new formulaic. comes through and just and that, and has that, to chop I feel like that shit down. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I guess I'm waiting for that new wave. It's like the NBA was really boring from like 2004, <laughs> five, like after like after Shaq and Kobe split. It's really boring until like. Maybe what two thousand like eleven? Dwight Howard gets in the league and Kobe and you know it's like it gets a new like uh, nemesis to battle against and then you get new fresh blood in and a whole new crop of kids comes in after like around two thousand eight you get Katie and Russell Westbrook and then two thousand eleven two thousand ten you get Steph Curry and Clay Thompson like a new a new blood came in and the game changed totally everybody changed shooting it, threes right? and now people have this new found like excitement for basketball because it's changed so much and I guess I'm just kind of waiting for like the Steph Curry class of kids to come in and kind of switch up, slam a little bit. I I still rather go watch youth poetry over adult poetry anytime because they're writing for the same reason I started writing, just because just I need to, as opposed to like writing because, oh, I think this will make me rich. Or I think this will make me look cool. Or I think this will get me on, you know, Jimmy Fallon or whatever. What, um, where can I, where's the best spots in town to go check out if I want to see some, some performances? Um, poetry wise man Austin Poetry Slam is every Tuesday that's still every Tuesday uh, at Spider House um, that's always a good place to go especially with with the competitive vibe it draws more people in because it's a competition you know yeah. somebody wins that's always dope somebody wins money uh, other than that excuse me it's more than likely um, I know I don't want to be wrong so I'm going to pull my phone out I know that <laughs> Neo Soul meets um, I want to say every Saturday now or every other like once a month, uh, Neo Soul meets and they are at Magnolia Cafe, I believe. Yeah, they're at Magnolia Cafe, and now they're meeting. Yeah, they're meeting every every once a month now, on Saturdays at Magnolia Cafe. If I got that wrong, I'm really sorry. But I think <laughs> I think that's right. Um, but those are the those are both of the places that kind of got my start at. Um, Speak Peace Poetry is an organization I've worked with, and it's for youth poets. So poets like between 13 and 18, um, which is like kind of like I said around the time I started writing and, and being that like I said I had to kind of be pushed into it. I wish I would have had somebody kind of push me into an organization like Speak Peace because they, you know, get you out of Austin too. You get to like perform actually in front of crowds in other places. You get to meet other kids in other places that do the same thing you do because you're competing against them. Like so, it's it's. Speak Peace uh, Poetry, Speak Peace is like a piece of paper, so S-P-E-A-K-P-I-E-C-E. Um, yeah, those three are probably the most consistent and uh, reliable sources for poetry in Austin, at least throughout my life. So, yeah. Nice. What about like other performers? You, have you ever had an interest in doing like stand-up or any like uh, improv, anything like that at all? I don't know about improv. I mean, I think I'd be good at improv because like, I feel like it's just like comedic freestyling. So I... I think I'd be good at it. I've thought about stand-up before. Because I feel like if you have that, you know what I mean? It's If you're not afraid to be on stage, right. like it kind of it, it lends itself to that. It definitely does. My friend just kind of jumped both feet into like the um, 
my friend, shout out to Damo Briggs, D-O-M space O, space that. Um, he uh, he just jumped like two feet in. Like I said, there's constantly people around me inspiring me because they're they're doing it, you know. If I have an idea, just go fucking do it, you know. What's, what's shoot or shoot, you know. You missed the first couple of shots, you just keep shooting because eventually they're gonna start falling. And he just jumped both feet in into comedy. And he's just type of he's like Zach Galifianakis, where like he, you start laughing before he opens his mouth. Like you just look at him, and he's making a face yeah. or something. You're like this, this fucking guy. Um, uh, and he just like jumped two feet into to comedy, and I went to go see him do like one of his first sets, and he was comfortable. And we were talking about it. I was like, man, you were just you looked a lot better up there than a lot of people who weren't. You know, the, yeah. aside from the other two who had been doing this for a lot longer, you looked a lot better than other people who were out here for the amateur night. And he was like, I mean, but you know, that's what we do, cause like, you know, I did poetry. And that's that's being on stage. I'm comfortable on stage. I rap. That's being comfortable on stage. Like I know how to put a set together and entertain an audience and move a crowd. And it's essentially the same thing. And then I'm a funny nigga. Yeah. So it's just, <laughs> it's just turning that my set into me telling jokes versus me doing poems. And uh, I was like, that makes all the sense in the world. So, I mean, it'd be something I'd be interested in. I never actually thought about comedy because comedy, that's a bitch, man. That's tough. Like with poetry, it, it, you read the room. Like yeah. if you do your first poem and nobody's really like standing up and they have like this audience is like kind of glaring at you really intently and giving <laughs> you these vibes, um, then you just, you know, I don't know, I'll do a bunch of poems about my mom or something. Or I'll just sit here and be quiet together <laughs> yeah. and like just vibe out. Um, or if yeah, you have, there's like, a different expectation. Right, sure. exactly. If somebody's loud or more boisterous, it's like, I can do poems. Or I'm like, I'm low-key rapping. Like, there's there's some, like, rhythm to this, and it's it's fun, and I'm moving around, and it's all a different vibe. It's like, you can read the room, whereas comedy, it's like, you have to elicit one response. Like, you're either funny or you ain't. I need you, to, like, if you don't laugh, then I failed. <laughs> like, whereas if you do poetry, I can make you laugh, I can make you cry, I can do all types of different things, and just depends on what the vibe was. But with comedy, like... Whether you do all those other things, you still need to be funny because that's the point. Like, it's, it's comedy. And I'm like, damn, that's hard. So I always have mad respect for comedians, especially stand-up. Are you a fan of uh, Danny Brown at all? I enjoy Danny Brown as, like, a concept. I, I can't lie and say <laughs> I like, listen, listen to, to his him. music a whole lot. Not that I dislike it. I think he can rap. He's just not ever anybody who's been, like, super hard on my radar. Anytime I think of him, I just think of his verse on L Train. And I'm just like, he bodied that shit. <laughs> and I dig his vibe. He's got a very, like, Andre 3000-esque vibe. But, nah, I can't say I listen to a super gotcha. amount of his music. I was just kind of curious, because I remember listening to him talk about the similarities between rapping and, and comedy in a sense that there was, like, there's, like, set up, set up, punch, set right. up, set up, punch. Like, there's a rhythm to it in, in that sense. Like, right. kind of like... And the best of both speak to something and are vulnerable. Like, the best hip-hop and the best comedy is, like... Dave Chappelle and Kendrick Lamar. It's like, it's really, really good technically. Like, this person's funny. This person can rap. But it's also like, they made me think and I left with something and they shared something with me that I wouldn't have necessarily got if I didn't come see them. So I can, I can completely understand the similarities. Um, Robbie Q. Telfer is a poet. He has a poem about, which poem I want to say it's about, it's about Richard Pryor, I think, not Red Fox. And essentially, it's just about, I related to Richard Pryor. I can't remember if it's about Richard Pryor, but it's essentially about just like being the best comedians or like think about what they're talking about. Like Richard Pryor was up there talking about smoking crack and setting himself on fire. Like that's that was not a happy time, but he made it funny. Yeah. Like, you know, Dave Chappelle might say things that rub people the wrong way, but that shit was funny. <laughs> like right. but it also made you think. Like that's that to me the best art is art that makes you think. Like you don't leave walking away just solely entertained. Like you you come away having like learned something. I don't know. I guess that's probably why I'm like falling off with Kevin Hart. I think that for me, like I've noticed that what people respond to, I mean, yeah, it's like, yes, when they, they respond to talent, but a lot of times people respond to shit that is, is real and that's like heartfelt and it's earnest. Right. 
I think even in a podcast conversation, I've noticed that too. It's like the ones where it's like just real and it's raw, just conversation. Right. People, I don't know. There's something about that earnestness that For sure. is it is attractive to. Yeah. Beyond just the ability. It's like interviewing. It's anything. Anything you. It's watching somebody do anything that's supposed to be like curated art when it feels genuine always seems better. I mean. And, and it's always the shit that lasts too. Like like, I'd rather listen to a podcast that's just a free flowing conversation or people that are just like kind of getting their shit off than something that sounds you know really yeah. really like sixty minutes and shit. Yes, yeah, so I was just like like CNN like oh my god we're okay we're gonna spend ten minutes <laughs> on this topic and then we're gonna move on to this topic. It's yeah. like yeah, but that's that's not dope because what if you had something more to say about that other topic or the next topic is kind of trash? Yeah, like I don't know. I feel like the vibe is. is this is um, important in everything. Yeah, I try to keep that space available in this podcast for like things to be like, there's a little bit of a rails that we want to keep things within, right, but right. like it's pretty broad and it's pretty wide. Right, yeah, and that, those are the best podcasts. All the podcasts I like are generally like that. Anything I listen to or anybody I like, any any interviewer I watch is always like that. Like That's why I think like notorious, like Zane Lowe interviews are notoriously bad is because they're just really predictable. It's like... Yeah, but somebody could have handed you like cards to do that interview. Like you didn't put any thought to it. Yeah. There was no actual conversation that happened there. She just kind of sucked somebody's dick for an hour. <laughs> How did you discover? Because I think for me, like I've tried uh, embarrassingly enough to to like I had some recording equipment at one time. I was like trying to rap and stuff because I do. I like I'm good at rhyming. I think, but right. I'm not good at like actually constructing like the bars. You know what I mean? And figuring all that shit out. But I think even what's more challenging than that is finding, like, your voice. Uh-huh, right. Like, the how you actually want to make your voice sound for sure. in the raps or rhymes or whatever. Like, how how what was that process like for you? Um, anytime somebody, like, younger poets or younger writers or anytime somebody asks me that, is I'm just like, you just have to, like, just keep doing it constantly. Um, inevitably, there's not, like, I'm a firm believer there's nothing new under the sun. So inevitably, like what you're really immersing yourself into at one point, you're probably going to steal or borrow or lend something from. Um, my two best friends are also writers. So when we were first coming up, it's like, that's what we did. That's all we did. Like, I'd wake up and, and call, you know, Jono, or I'd wake up and call Brent, like, cuz I wrote a poem last night, I want to read it to you. And if you're doing that 24-7, you're hanging out with people, and you're smoking weed in cars and reading poems <laughs> back and forth to each other, like, inevitably, you're going you're gonna to start to kind of sound like each other. And it used to kind of bother all three of us, I think. I know it bothered me. Because I'm, I'm not that person. Like, I don't want to be told, oh, you sound like somebody. I'm like, well, that's going to make me, like, want to go super hard the other way. Um, which I don't know if, if that's a good thing either. Because, um, like I said, you borrow, you learn. Like, if you don't take pieces from people's game around you, like, you're, you're kind of lame. Why wouldn't you learn from the people around you? Um, I just, you just got to keep doing it. Just keep constantly exposing yourself to new forms of whatever your medium is. Like, I started reading poetry by or listening to poetry by people that I wouldn't listen to poetry by before. I started reading books that I necessarily wouldn't pick up before. And you kind of find, you know, what, what's the Bruce Lee quote? Like, uh, you know, take what take what's necessary, add something unique. You know, it's just like you take these little pieces and, like, gems from people and you kind of add your own to it. Um, I, I think that just comes with practice. Like, with the, the Beyonce Homecoming video that came out there, everybody's wilding out about. I was I was... I was completely and totally floored by everything. Like, I'm, I'm not, I don't consider myself a Beyonce fan, but then, like, I was listening to the music, and, like, I knew every song, so I was like, shit, maybe I am a Beyonce fan. <laughs> so I'm listening to everything. It's like, it's too, going super hard or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, I see all these tweets, and everybody's like, man, man. I'm like, but you, you practiced. Like, y'all don't practice? 
Like I was sitting around like my, my friend who's who's a painter and, and my friend who's been a chef as well as a writer uh, and to an extent where like you've put in the 10,000 hours type shit. So it's like, it's because like, we, we, everybody in this room has practiced for eight months or something before. For one thing, everybody in here has done that. Everybody in this room has, has, has given up shit that they would have wanted to do to be able to succeed at this thing you were practicing on for eight months before. Like we've done that. I mean, maybe not to that extent because I'm not a fucking millionaire. Um, but, you know, we've all done that before. Like, we all know what rehearsal is. And I think that was the biggest thing I took away from the Homecoming documentary, which is, like, if you rehearse like a madman, you know, my, my, one of my coaches, Ebony, used to say, like, if you, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. It's like, <laughs> if, if you rehearse like a fucking madman, you go super crazy and you know your shit and, you know, nobody can fuck with you. But nobody can tell Steph Curry how to shoot a jump shot. I'm fucking Steph Curry. What you mean? I put in the 20,000 hours on this jumper. I can shoot it with my eyes closed. Like, Jono always says, I can write a poem. Like, I tie my shoe. Like, I know I can do that shit. <laughs> so it's just, it's just about practice, practice, practice. Read more than you read before. Write more than you write before. Like, look for shit to write about that you wouldn't necessarily write about. Try to break out of your comfort zone. Like, go to more shit that you wouldn't go see. Go listen to more shit you wouldn't listen to. And eventually you'll kind of find it if, right. if, if that's what you actually want to do. What do you think along those lines, too, more so with, I guess, like, finding your voice like your actual like literal voice is I, one thing I think is kind of cool about rapping, rhyming and whatnot is there's so many different aspects of it. Like some people are good just lyrically, right? Mm-hmm. They're extremely talented at putting their words together. Lyrical, miracle, spiritual. <laughs> some people are good at like they have their flow is good or their voice or there's so many different right. elements to it. And you can be like at the top of the game in any of these different facets. Right. Or you can like, you know, you can just be like 50, 75% at all five right, or whatever, exactly. you know, whatever your stat like breakdown <laughs> is when you're like creating your own like rhymer, you know what I mean? You kind of like play with the knobs and shit. Right. I think that's kind of interesting. Do you have like, could you like think of maybe some rappers that, like do you have it? Do you have it like? Things? Do you have it like broken down? Because I think I have yeah, a few sure. where there's like, for sure. I like this person. I, I definitely I listen to Travis Scott because I like his tone. I definitely listen to Travis Scott because he finds really weird pockets to catch oh, because sure. I don't think he listens to hip hop as much as I do. Yeah. I think Travis Scott's at home listening like Green Day and shit. So Makes he sense. so he catches interesting pockets, he finds ways to play with melodies that are different because his mindset isn't straight rapper rapper. Like yeah. his his influences are Kanye West and Kid Cudi and then like show tunes and shit because he grew up like in theater. And whereas, like, my first references to hip-hop are Biggie and Tupac and Nas and, like, these really lyrical rappers are... I mean, people argue Tupac's lyrical ability, but I, I think they're crazy because there's mad songs where I'm like, well, are you, what are you listening to? <laughs> so I'm like, he's, he's, he's rapping his ass off on here. But, yeah, there's there's rappers who give you, you know, the they're rappers who are proficient in storytelling like Nas. They're rappers, or Jay-Z. They're rappers who... Jay-Z might be the one who has, like, the dope... The, the, the 75% at all you were talking about, one of those freaks, um, or like an Andre 3000 or an Eminem. Um, but for the most part, yeah, there are people who are super lyrical, um, who are giving you straight bars. Like Biggie is always my first reference there. It's just like this, the shit he would say is, wow, like how'd you decide to put those words together? Eminem used to be like that too to me. It's just like, wow, the bars here, the rhyming, like I can rhyme anything with anything. Like when I first started doing poetry, I was like, what the fuck is a poem that doesn't rhyme? That's a speech. <laughs> it's easy. So you're just monologuing, you're just talking, um, and but then you start to realize things like nuance, and so uh, somebody who has a dope voice like Travis Scott, or somebody who you know plays with tones really well like Future, 
or um, you know, even going all the way back to somebody who's amazing with their tones, like a CeeLo Green or somebody like in the Dungeon family, like an uh, like you know, Outkast for sure. Uh, Big Boy is slept on. To me, oh, yeah. Big Boy is the most slept on rapper in the world. He's My nigga said, "I'm cooler than a polar bear's toenails." Like he was giving y'all bars as just he was standing next to a unicorn, and it's hard to to shine when you're standing next to Andre 3000, who's barring niggas to death, and he's got a dress on and a <laughs> right. wig on, and he can sing and play the guitar. It's just like if, if we were just a typical rap group, like Big Boy would have you know gotten the same amount of credit from everybody that hip hop nerds give him because he was such a dope lyricist, but he was standing next to this guy that was 75% in all categories, like you said. Um, and then you can get somebody who's... A, f- a five-tool player. That's what they call it in yeah, baseball, like right? Yeah, you're, you're, you're a freak. <laughs> like a Mike Trout, you know? <laughs> yeah, you do everything, literally. Um, and then you got, you know, people who are cadence freaks. Like, I feel like Eminem later got, you know, really crazy in his cadences. And then, like, yeah, like Kendrick Lamar's cadences are crazy. Like, half the time, I'm not even rapping with Kendrick Lamar. I'm just like, dun, 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 dun. I'm just doing, like, the, the rhythm of how yeah. he's rapping. Because I'm like, God, how do you find that? Like, that's nuts. And then, you, you know... As much as I rag on him, you get somebody like Drake who just finds every way to like. He's got a good voice. He's got to give him. I, his he's tone gotta, is stupid. Like I, he finds a way to sound like, good over that, like, Afro beats, over Caribbean vibes, over you know boom back 1990s sounding New York beats, over trap beats. Like he finds a way to sound just flawless over everything, and that's you know a nod to him as well as to his engineer, but. I think that's somebody who just fight it as you must. As you must, it's something, and I, I think it's his voice. Like, yeah, oh, for sure, he's got that like vocal fry. Like, he's, he's and he got plays a lot of, it. Like, you know, when he he gets on like an Afro beat and he plays up the like West Indian in his voice because he's from Toronto. Yeah, and then he gets on something else and he's like he just goes super rapper over it. It's just like the, the kid is crazy talented. There's no way to deny it. Um, you know, I'm never gonna give him all the respect that you got it right. I think Fu- <laughs> you gotta like, write all your own bars, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> you true, have to. Right? You mentioned Future, and to me, I'm always impressed at his ability to, like, he he's somebody that too has a voice that just it's so fucking one of a kind. I don't it's even interesting. You can't like he can make anything into a hook. He can make anything into a hook, and that is fucking amazing. Like it's, it's, he's not he's not like voice. he's not the most lyrically no not gifted at all. At all but, but it's also not his focus. True. And like, it doesn't, and I think that's what people miss, miss out on. It's, it doesn't have to be. It, it doesn't, doesn't have to be this or it that. It took a very long time for me to get that. There's a lot of variation for sure. And uh, I was actually like, shout out to the fact that I got tweeted back by Crooked Eye. Talk about a <laughs> lyricist. Um, and he was just like, well, if you go into every song looking for lyricism, well, yeah, you're going to be let down. Like, we had to think at the time we were talking about Cardi B's album. Yeah. And he's like, if you go into everything looking for that, well, of course you're not going to like it because not everybody's that. That's like the only criteria you have for somebody making a dope rap song. Well then, you're not gonna you're gonna miss out on a bunch of shit because a lot of people can't rap like that, um, and I still like sometimes find myself catching that because I'm just like, you know, I'm an artist and a competitor at the same time, so I'm also be like, man, this motherfucker can't rap, I can rap. Yeah. Like, so I'm not I'm not trying to listen to this person get on this this amazing beat and not rap because I can rap, and uh, usually that'll just make me go rap because I'm just like, well then shut the fuck up then and go rap, like go record it if that's what you have, that's how you feel. But yeah, he was just like, if that's what you go into every song looking for, then you're gonna get let down a lot because. Lil Uzi not trying to rap, but he makes dope music. Yeah. Like, and I also think he'll tell you, like, I'm not trying to rap. And I think that's also a pigeonhole a lot of, like, black kids get put into because they're just because they're black. It's like, he's not rapping, he's just black. But he's telling you. He literally just said a second ago, I'm not a rapper. I don't want to rap. That's not what I do. But he's on the hip-hop charts because he's black. When just, like, the whole debate was, like, the little Nas kid. It's like, the song drives me crazy. I hate that fucking song. <laughs> I can't stand that shit. But at the same time, it's like, oh, why can't he be country? 
Remember <laughs> Nelly and Tim McGraw also? That callback. song slapped. <laughs> I like that song. That song slapped. That shit was hard. He put out a whole country album after that, and it sold because it was country music. Like, fuck are you to tell me that I don't make country music? It's like on the Joe Budden podcast, they were discussing what's pop. It's like pop is just when white kids come do something that black kids were already doing. Because pop as a, as a genre originally was before black people were allowed to be on the radio. So what pop music was, was the covers of the songs that black people had written and sung. But because you can't put black people on the radio, they'd have some white kid come sing it. And then that would be the song they released on the radio. And then now he's got to like split his profits with this white kid they got on the radio. Like that's originally what pop was. So why do they have to be hip hop just because they're black? It's like, nah, Lil Uzi told you he listens to Green Day and he listens to Metallica and he loves Marilyn Manson. And his only real reference to pop or hip hop are Kanye West and Pharrell. Like, that's what he listened to, Kid Cudi. And, you know, Cudi's not the most lyrical guy. It's more about a vibe. He's got a voice, too. Like Kanye's openly said, I don't write everything. I consider yeah. myself an artist. So these are the people you're growing up, you know, fucking with. And why you got to pigeonhole dude and be like, oh, he's a rapper. And Ebro, you know, make him rap. Like, no, I don't rap. That's not what I do. It's not my thing. Like, I'm not Dave East. What do you think about my, uh, as, as, a, as a rhyme writer, what do you think about my favorite MF Doom? MF Doom is a freak. <laughs> MF Doom is like in that category of you having to be a real hip hop fan to understand. Like people start talking about who best lyricists are, and now you know the same four or five names get thrown around. You get Chance, you get Kendrick, you get Drake, you get J Cole, and it's like, man, have you heard of MF Doom? Have you heard of Black Thought? You know, have you heard of like Black Thought too? You know, have you heard well of like underrated. like Lupe is not commercial anymore? But do you have, do you listen to Lupe Fiasco? Like these are people. These are those freaks I was talking about. Like that kind of go super hard in one direction as far as like the lyrical miracle spiritual but that's when you're trying to get that off like sometimes i want to hear that shit sometimes i want to hear you know method man and red man give me 60 bars with no fucking <laughs> chorus exactly that's just the mood just i woke up beat. in and it's just like ooh shit and then other times it's like i just want to get lost in like a fucking travis scott song which is what i you know, was listening to earlier today it's just that was the vibe i woke up on so i felt like listening oh, yeah. to this dude auto-tune over these crazy beats and, and hit these nuts pockets. I listened to Goose... Oh, what is, it, is it Goosebumps? Yeah, yeah, I was listening to Goosebumps this morning. That The reverb Travis has on the vocal is so good. It's just got that right of like that little... Yeah, his, <laughs> he has the, it. It's in his mic. Like his mics have that in it, have that reverb and, re, re, reverb and auto-tune in them because he doesn't... like He wants to give the same performance, like a CD quality performance. So he won't perform with like his mic... That is like not his mic. Like I can't use a the mic there. I need my mic because my mic has that reverb, that auto tune, and everything on it. And it's just like you weren't thinking about doing that in 2014. But I'm not gonna get mad at a kid in 2019 who knows how to do that shit on his computer and the shit sounds fire. Right. I mean, a lot. Of, I think a lot of people bitch about auto tune and whatnot. But I mean, to me, it's like an electric guitar. It's like you're putting. It's, it's a yeah. different way to. It's sauce. It's it's all sound. It's yeah, noise, it's just, anyways. It's, like it's just adding to it. Yeah, exactly. If it sounds good. It sounds good. I mean, like anything. Like we're just throwing back to what we were saying earlier. Like anything, it can become overdone and become saturated. If like that's what the formula is, quote unquote. But you know, I think anytime there's a formula or something popular like that, cream rises right to the top. So if you if you do the thing that everybody else is doing better, well, then you'll stand out, and he does. Did you, uh, we talked about you maybe performing something. Did, did you bring something? I can find did something you? in my phone, I'm sure. Yeah. Definitely, because uh, before, uh, before we run out of time here, sure. definitely like to get, get you to perform something. Yeah, shout out to Cooper, though, too. I'm a dickhead. I'm, I'm late to everything all the time. <laughs> I'm terrible about it. Hey, it, at least you made it. Uh, when it becomes That's a the thing, big part. I, you showed up. <laughs> so I've always told myself when it becomes a thing and I, I actually have money, the only two things I really need, somebody clean my house for me and a fly assistant. 
<laughs> like I need a, I need a, like, I need an asshole of an assistant. I need that assistant. It's like, go get dressed, go do this, go do that. Raising my hand to to be your assistant right now. (laughs) Because I'm the motherfucker who, like like you said, I'll hear a word or like, I was listening to Travis Scott on the way here and it's like, I'm sure I got lost in a couple of those songs and was taking way too long. I'm that motherfucker. I'm sure I have ADD. And it was just never diagnosed. Uh, Let's see. Poem. Should I go on here? Do you like smoke perp at all? I've heard some stuff that like I wouldn't turn off in passing, but I wouldn't say that like I actually yeah. go out of my way to listen to uh, yeah. his music. Why you, you fancy yourself a smoke? Uh, I mean, I really didn't listen to him too much until kind of recently, but I like you know I, I like some heavy eight oh eight beats. I like some some trap beats to mix things up, but <laughs> I don't know. I just haven't found a lot of new music that's all that interesting lately. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a weird music nerd too, though. So I'm like, I'm, sh- I'm the person who like. You, you know, what I forgot to ask you about is Saul Williams. Oh, so Saul Williams is so crazy. So Saul Williams um, is is one of those people who like realized that it was the door, not the house, right? Because he came up in the the generation that like slam pop slam poetry became popular, like around like ninety one. Um, they actually shot a movie here in Austin called Slam at uh, at the National Poetry Slam when it was in Austin, and he was in it. And uh, when I was living in New York, I like just walked up on the the. Um, it's a space called Brick. It's in Brooklyn. Um, and I just walked up on it. I like, got to you know, hear him kind of essentially just kind of give a lecture for free, which is like the thing I love about New York is just being able to kind of like bump yeah, into shit like so that. There's so much going on, yeah. So, yeah, there's everything just going on. And um, like the first day I got there, this guy whose music I love, um, Anik Khan, and uh, he makes fire music. And I'm coming out of my friend's brownstone after we're watching the fight. And I like this fight party, and he's just like wandering down the street, and I'm just like, "Hey, are you? <laughs> right? Y'all saw you open up for Jadena? What's up?" He was like, "Oh <laughs> shit, where'd you see me?" And I was like, what "The fuck are you doing here?" I was like, "Yeah, shit, that's cool. out here." He was like, "That's what's up." <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah well, Saul Williams fire. I love Saul Williams. He's he's like uh, he's on another plane. He's on a level that I could. It's not even just like thinking like art wise. Um, so, like, again, I don't like to compare my art, but, like, not even just thinking art-wise, but just, like, the thinking plane he's on. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the clip where he's talking about like, your diet and how your diet is more than what you eat. And just, like, the things you consume in general, like, the music you listen to, the books you read, the shows you watch. Like, like not just the food, but the shit you're consuming is killing you. And just, like, the plane, like, the level of thinking he's on. And, like, I was watching him, like, kind of get this dude to just completely gather him and get him together um, when I saw him speak in New York. And essentially, like... And we were talking about gentrification and just talking about, you know, shit that's going on everywhere. And we were in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, essentially this white guy was just like, how, so how, how do we make the, the criticism constructive? Because it just constantly feels like the finger is getting pointed at me and I'm wrong and I'm bad and woe is me and blah, blah, blah. And Saul was essentially like, well, we have one thing in common. I'm a guy. You're a guy and I'm a guy. We're both men. And men have, men have ruled this, this world. And this world is fucked up as fuck. So clearly we're not doing a good job of it. So if somebody points the finger at me and says, men do this, men are, men are bad in this way, men, 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 whatever, um, he's like, I have to eat that because there's no evidence to show to the contrary. There's no evidence to prove that what you know, they're saying is not right. So I got to kind of eat that and just try to be better and like, do what I can to change that perspective and change you know, yeah. how the patriarchy is affecting the world. It's like, so you're a white dude. So if people are saying you know, this, 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 and this, then maybe right. you should just kind of eat that <laughs> and just like reflect on how you can be better and do better and you know try to change whatever that is that they're saying you're a part of. Um, 
I was walking in the shop last night and had Seth Rogen and everybody on it. And Seth was saying he's from Canada. And essentially he was like, the one thing I noticed about the difference between Canada, and I kind of noticed it too because I've been there before. He's like, the only thing I noticed the difference about Canada and America is like their willingness to um, acknowledge something. Like, hey, we're having a comedy show. But hey, by the way, where we're doing it is indigenous land. Shout out to them for letting us be here. It's their land. We don't necessarily have to be here. They're allowing us to do the show here. All right, now let's get on with the comedy show. Like, America doesn't want to do that. You bring yeah. up the word racism, you bring up, you know, patriarchy or sexism or whatever, and then it immediately makes people, like, kind of, like, run back in their turtle shell. And it's like, I don't want to talk about it. Well, why are you bringing that up? Why is everything always about race? It's like, well, we can't do anything about it if we can't even fucking talk about it. Yeah. So, um, so I love his willingness to be on a plane of just constantly, like, with this very, like, calm. Like, I'm not trying to beat up on you. It's a very just calm demeanor. Just, no, I'm just, there are just things that need to be addressed. And so I, I love Saul Williams and his, and his just mindset, the plane he's on in general. I love his art, love his writing, but also just how he, how he got to where he got through his writing. It's like, it just reminds me of like when I was 18, it was just like, we're going to change the world with these poems, guys. We're going <laughs> to fix shit. <laughs> and just, yeah, I love how he like still has that same like childlike mindset. It's dope. I stumbled upon Saul. He did an album with, that uh, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails produced of course back in did. the day that it was awesome. <laughs> Which uh, there's a song off that album called Break mm-hmm. that is it's fucking dope. It's amazing. I'll have to check it out. But uh, did you did you find something that I you could did. perform for us? I did find a poem. Because we're about to they're about to kick us out of this they this room before too long. They'll kick us out. We rebels. <laughs> we're going against time. Um, but yeah, it's a short one, so it won't take too long. It is amazing what white guilt can manifest itself into. It can murder a black man, or save him. Emmett Till was born in Chicago on July 25th in 1941. Orenthal James Simpson was born in California on July 9th in 1947. Both of their stories forever altered by their encounters with a pretty white girl. One savagely murdered, the other a savage murderer born only six years apart and oh what a generational gap. Two opposite ends of an ugly spectrum, two celebrities this country made, two stories they love to unearth like the graves they go along with, that go along with them but if we do, an autopsy on this country. It is obvious we are seriously sick. If we dig up the dead and let them speak for themselves, they will tell you how this country is built on graves. Billions and billions of buried bones, it will tell you how. A whistle that never was buried a boy. Not a man, but a boy. How the pretty girl kept the secret until her deathbed. He didn't even whistle at me. I made it all up. But all she had to do was say it, and it was so. Sad part is, it's not a singular story. My seven-year-old father saw something similar growing up in the South. Meanwhile, in Southern California, a man who Emmett Till would have been six years his senior saw what happened after the sit-ins ended. After Jim Crow saw uh, just as many graves, set so many cities on fire, policed the people and pushed them into it. And when America was forced to see herself, she was guilty. So guilty that a guilty man walked free. With all the blood on America's hands, somehow his celebrity convinced the world his hands were clean and the glove didn't fit and he wasn't black. He's OJ, but he was still black, and they reminded him the second they got the chance, and she got to live until her deathbed, and Emmett never did really get to whistle at a pretty girl he liked. The Jew still spent his life in prison despite no conviction. These are not coincidences. They are true. It's amazing what that type of guilt can do. Damn, that was badass. Appreciate you, man. Clap, clap, clap. That <laughs> was amazing. Thank you. I have like a weird obsession with oh, the damn, OJ that, trial. Uh, love it. That's <laughs> yeah, fucking it's, awesome. It's a weird obsession. Speaking of, have you heard, uh, fucking Future did a, on a, mi- a mixtape with like DJ Esco mm-hmm. that was like about OJ Simpson. It's, I don't know, it's sick for me to say this, but it's kind of funny. Like uh-huh. 
he's like oj simpson double murder and that's like the hook is like yeah. that and shit it's really it's, funny. it's interesting man it's such a such a strange story like and how obsessed this country is with that story and just won't let it go out it's constantly being dug up i remember being a kid and like just the tv didn't go off during the trial so you just oh, come home sure. and as it was still running you just kind of picked up where you left off when you left the house that day and just it's so interesting to me it's just his whole life story is strange how he, that, thought, uh, he thought he was above that system. And that TV movie was pretty... It was in-depth. It was dope. I've watched it like Courtney four or five Vance. times. I've, Courtney Vance is a, such a yeah. fucking awesome actor. I've watched anything he has to do like four or five times. My jean jacket, like one of my favorite pins on it is like OJ like struggling to put the glove on. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> oh my God. My brother was the straight conspiracy <laughs> theorist. Yeah, it's uh, mixed in a bunch of other pins, so I have to like point it out. <laughs> right. And every time I do somebody's just like, why do you have that on your jacket? Uh, I need to get a picture of that. So yeah, that can be the episode I've been looking for an OJ for jersey week, forever. Right? <laughs> if I find an OJ jersey, I would wear it. People are like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's it's an OJ jersey. But uh, we're, we're running out of time, so... If you want to promote any of your your SoundCloud, your Instagram, uh, whatever, I'm on everything. Throw, throw all your ads. Uh, at your me, opportunity. I'm on everything. You, I'm, there's not a whole lot of Zay's. Z A I S A D L E R. I'm Zay Sadler on pretty much everything. Instagram, YouTube channel, uh, Facebook, all that. I'll throw in everything. Will be in the show notes too. I'll look you up and, and find everything. Yeah, and make sure SoundCloud, it's there. SoundCloud, all that. Working on a project now that'll uh, probably be the first one I get up on all streaming platforms. Like pretty hype about that it's like reggae based so i'm pretty happy about that all right all right well this is uh this is podcast with cooper cherry about to sign off but one a couple of quick things i want to go through is uh be sure to check me out the podcast twitter is at podcast co cooper uh check me out on patreon as well if you're enjoying the show and you want to throw in uh, a couple of dollars here to help promote uh, help support the uh the the thing it's all coming out of pocket i'm taking a loss on it so working artist uh, man <laughs> right <for sure. laughs> so check that out uh, if you want to listen to my real wild takes and crazy absurd humor look up my shit posting account on twitter which is at anarcho muadab <laughs> which is a a dune reference and then uh yeah but uh once again zay thanks so much for coming out man thank you for having me thank you for doing my latest <laughs> No worries. Uh, Podcast, Kara Cooper Cherry, signing off for the week. Bye.